Tonight we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 22. As you're making your way there, let's start with a word of prayer. Our God and Father, thank you for the privilege to once again open the book. God, make the book live to us. God, help us to hear the voice of God as the scriptures are read and explained. Oh, God, that you would break through the hardness of our hearts. Make us more like our Savior by the preaching of the word. Work in us that which you desire to by your word, by your spirit. Come in these moments, God, speak to your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to listen to the mission statement of a well-known university. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That's a pretty impressive mission statement for a university. This university was founded in 1636 and they employed only Christian professors. The emphasis of the college was the the character formation of its students above everything else. And they had a very strong emphasis in in, uh, training and raising up and equipping ministers to preach the gospel. Every diploma had this written on in Latin, Christo et Ecclesia, around the word veritas. And that means truth for Christ and the church. That's on every single one of the diplomas. You've probably heard of this university. It's called Harvard University. Doesn't sound like the Harvard we know today, does it? Harvard's drifted a long way from its beginning. Matter of fact, at the 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard, Steve Mueller, who used to be the president of John Hopkins University, said it very bluntly about Harvard. He said, the bad news is the university has become godless. And that doesn't just happen to institutions. You've probably known someone who started out well, made a profession of faith, plugged into the church, appeared to be following Christ faithfully, but somewhere down the line, they reverted back to their old way of life. Somewhere down the line, they they got away from the things of God and no longer faithful, back to living the way they used to live. Are they still Christians? Were they ever? How do you know? those who are truly Christians. This is very, very important. Because if you don't know those who are truly Christians, how do you know you're one? If you can't identify those who are truly Christians, then how can you identify yourself as one? What we're going to learn this evening will hopefully give us some clarity on this issue. Our scripture for this evening is 2 Peter 2, 17 to 22. 
If you've been with us, you know Peter has been warning his readers about false teachers in their midst. These are men who at one time appeared to be genuine believers, followers of Jesus, but they have since abandoned the Christian way of life, although they still appear to be uh, plugged into the church to some extent. They have turned back to their former way of life. What should we think about such people? How does it help us to know who is or isn't truly Christian? We're going to find out as we look closely at what Peter tells us about these three men. We're going to look at these verses using four headings. Please stand as we read the scripture together. 2 Peter 2 verse 17. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been kept. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by sensual lusts of the flesh those who barely escaped from the ones who conducted themselves in error, promising them freedom while themselves they are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if they are overcome, having both escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and having again been entangled in them, then the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. The message of the true proverb has happened to them. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Please be seated. I want to use four headings to help us walk through these verses and try to understand what the Word of God is teaching us tonight. Here's the first thing I want you to see. The turn. There is a turn. I want you to look at verse 19. Look about halfway through that verse and you'll see it says, While they themselves are slaves... Of corruption. He's talking about these false teachers in the church and he refers to them as slaves of corruption. The word corruption he's referring to is moral corruption. They're morally corrupt. In other words, he's pointing to their sinful lifestyle and he calls them slaves of corruption. What that means is their sin, their moral corruption, has overpowered them. It has mastered them. It, it's ruling over them. Think of it this way. Their sin is controlling them. It's calling the shots in their life. They're enslaved to their sin. John 8, 34. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. When he talks about commits, it's a present tense word. It means an ongoing habitual lifestyle of sin. Those who live in continual habitual lifestyle of sin show themselves to be slaves of sin. They are under the control of their morally corrupt sinful nature. And that's what Peter says about these false teachers. They are under the control of their sinful human nature, like we looked at this morning, that animalistic desire just to feed and breed, to pursue those sinful passions. That's what controls them. They are slaves of corruption. But I want you to watch verse 20. Look, it says, 
having both escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about the false teachers still. Having escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. At one time, they heard and understood the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They heard the good news. They heard the, the word of God about sin and repentance and faith. And it says, look how he words it. It says they escaped the defilements of the world. In other words, they left their morally corrupt ways. They walked away from that sinful lifestyle. We normally refer to that as repentance. They seem to repent of their sinful life, it says, by a knowledge of the Lord. In other words, through hearing the gospel, through hearing the good news, they heard it and walked away from their sinful life, which points to conversion. But we remember in verse 19, he says, they're slaves of corruption. But when you get to verse 20, he's telling us, Yes, they're slaves of corruption, but at one time they heard the gospel and had walked away from that life. But look what else he says in, in verse 20. Having again been entangled in them, them being the defilements of the world that he just mentioned. They escaped the defilements of the world. They walked away from that stuff when they heard the gospel. But now they have been entangled in them again. It's like a fly caught in a spider's web. Entangled. It's like threads being weaved together. They're, they're all wrapped up in that moral corruption that they had once walked away from. They have found their way back to it and now it's totally wrapped them up like a fly in a spider web. The morally corrupt ways they had once abandoned when they heard the gospel, they are now right back into it, as he says, slaves to that moral corruption. And when you read verse 20, it says, if... If they're overcome, it sounds like it's a conditional clause. What he's saying, it sounds like he's saying, well, if this happens, then this is what will happen. But I want you to look at verse 22 for a second. The message of the true proverb has happened to them. A dog returns to its own vomit. In other words, what he's saying in verse 20 is not just hypothetical. This has actually happened to them. They did hear the gospel. They did walk away from their sinful life. But they have now drifted back in and been tangled and tied up in that moral corruption to which they are now again enslaved. You've seen it many, many times. An addict goes into rehab, gets treatment comes out and lives clean for a while. Somewhere down the line, they revert back to that old way of life. That's exactly what Peter says has happened to these people in the church. He just refers to as false teachers. 
by the way. They, they may not have actually been official teachers like pastors. They may have just been people in the church who are promoting this false belief and false lifestyle. And so Peter's calling them teacher because they are teaching other people this stuff. So they had walked away from sin. When they heard the gospel, but now they're right back into it. Now that's the turn. They turned back to their sin. But it's not enough for them that they have stopped following Christ. And they've gone back to their corrupt way of life. They want other people to do the same thing. Notice now the temptation. Verse 17. They are springs without water. A spring is a source where water flows constantly. When he says they're springs without water, he says they're like a spring that should have a flow of constant water. You should be able to go get a drink anytime, but there's no water. Or like mists driven by the wind. You know when you, sometimes you're outside and you can just feel the mist in the air, you feel the moisture in the air, and it gives you the promise it gives you the thought, okay, we're going to get some rain, we're going to get some moisture here, but the wind comes along and it blows that mist away and it leaves the ground as dry as it was before. Both of these pictures, it's like there's the promise of moisture, rain for the earth, but it never comes. What's he saying? These are men who make promises that they can't make good on. Look at verse 19. Promising them, them would be these uh, weak believers. We'll talk more about them in a minute. These recent Christians or immature believers. They're promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. What are they promising? They're promising freedom. What kind of freedom are we talking about? It's freedom from moral restraints. Remember we talked about this morning that Christianity does have guidelines. We do have rules. There are restraints. They're promising freedom from all that. You don't have to live under all that. You don't have to follow all those rules and all those. You can live any way you want to. You don't have to, you don't have to abide by all that stuff. They're promising you can have freedom. But Peter says they're like a spring with no water. They can't deliver what they're promising. Why? Verse 19 tells you because they themselves are slaves of corruption. They're not free themselves. They're promising these new believers you can be free. But what they're promising is not freedom. It's going back into slavery again. You see? Now I want you to notice something. Verse 18, speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice, they entice the sensual lust of the flesh. Those who barely escape from the ones who conducted themselves in error. Okay, they boast these arrogant words of vanity. Vanity means to be empty. So they're these boastful words that, that are hollow. In other words, 
They're boasting about the freedom from restraints they enjoy. They're boasting about they're free from the rules. They're free. They don't have to live. They're not enslaved by all that. But what Peter says is their arrogance is empty. It's hollow. They're not really free at all. They're slaves. And what they're promising is that others, you can have the same. You can be just like us. It's hollow. It's an empty promise. It's an arrogant boast. They say they're free, but they're not free at all. And notice what it says in verse 18. They entice by sensual lusts of the flesh. Sensual lusts of the flesh are those carnal desires, worldly desires, sinful desires. They entice. It's like lure, like a lure you lure fish with, like bait. They, they, they picture this sensual, this fleshly sin. They describe it in such a way that it makes these believers want it. They entice them. And look what it says about them. They entice the ones who barely escape from the ones who conducted themselves in error. What does that mean? That means they have only recently escaped that sinful lifestyle themselves. In other words, they're going to people who have not been in the Christian faith long enough to be established and strong. They've only recently left that worldly lifestyle because those are the easiest ones to get to go back. You see what they're doing? It's not enough for them that they've turned back. Now there's the temptation to these others who are walking with Christ, trying to get them to go back. You can be free. You can be free. We're living in freedom. Join us. But Peter said it's hollow and it's an empty promise because they can't deliver what they're promising. They can't give freedom because they're slaves themselves. The temptation. Peter is painting a picture of people in the church who have reverted to their formal sinful lifestyles and now they're trying to get others to do the same. How's that going to turn out, you think? I want you to notice third, the tragedy. Look at verse 20. If they are overcome, having both escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, having again been entangled in them, then the last state has become worse for them than the first. What does that mean? They are in worse condition. They are in worse shape after they went back to their sinful life than they were before they ever left their sinful life to start with. That makes sense? He says, they came to Christ, began to follow Christ, left their sin, but now they've gone back to it. And now that they've gone back to it, their condition is worse than it was before they ever heard the gospel to begin with. I want you to notice verse 21. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. 
The Christian life is described here as the way of righteousness. In Acts, sometimes you see the apostles refer to Christianity as the way. It's pictured as a way of living, a righteous way of living. He also calls it here the holy command. It would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment. Christian teaching. He's picturing all of Christian teaching as a commandment, a, a way of holy living. And it is. It's a call to live a righteous life. And he says, it would have been better for them if they had never known the Christian way than to have heard it, embraced it, and turned away from it. Matthew 12, verse 43 to 45. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Get the picture. He's picturing a man like a house. There's an unclean spirit living in the man. The unclean spirit leaves. Then the house is swept clean and put in order. Then that unclean spirit returns, finds the house in order, and he goes and invites seven other unclean spirits to come live with him. In other words, he's in seven times worse condition now than he was when he, before, the un, the, before the unclean spirit left the first time. You with me? His condition has gotten seven times worse than it was before he ever got cleaned up, right? Got rid of that evil spirit, got cleaned up, but now the evil spirit's back and he's brought friends and he's worse now than he ever was to begin with. I want you to think about this. It would have been better for them not to have known the way than to know it and then turn away from it. Think about this. Having known and heard the gospel. And then having made the choice to ultimately reject it. Now they're left with no path to forgiveness. You see, before they heard the gospel, they still had the hope of hearing and believing and being saved. But now that they've heard it and rejected it, they've rejected the only means of salvation and there's nothing left for them. They're worse now than they were to begin with. And the implication is that somehow judgment will be worse for those who heard and rejected than those who never heard. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning willfully 
after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. People turn away from their sin to follow Christ, only eventually to go right back to their sin Peter's telling us they are in worse shape than they were to begin with. But that leaves us with a question. Were they truly Christians? Notice with me fourthly the truth. We've seen the turn and the temptation and the tragedy. Now notice the truth. Verse 22. The message of the true proverb has happened to them. A dog returns to its own vomit. Dogs will throw up and then you'll see them in a little while right back there sniffing it, licking it. It's disgusting. They go back to what is disgusting and unclean. This is a quote from Proverbs 26, 11. Why does a dog do that? You ever wonder? It's just in his nature. It's just the way he's wired. That's in the nature of a dog to go back and investigate disgusting stuff. Similarly, those who have renounced the Christian faith have returned to what is disgusting. They find it more attractive than the way of righteousness. So they go back to it even though it's filth. But then there's another proverb here. This one's not in the Bible. A sow, pig, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. You can take a hose, clean up that pig, bleach him, scrub him, soap him down, and he's going to go right back to the mud. Matter of fact, while you clean him, he got his eyes on that mud hole. And no matter how clean you get him, no matter how clean he becomes, he's always going to go back and roll around in that mud. Why? Because part of a pig's nature is to wallow in the mud to get cool. That's how they cool themselves. And that's just his nature. Ain't nothing you can do to change that. Similarly, those who begin to follow Christ and then turn back are like pigs who got hosed down, but then went right back to that original filth. I want you to ask yourself this question. Why do people go back to their sinful lifestyle? Same reason the dog goes back to his vomit. Same reason the pig goes back to the mud. The, un, the, the person who has followed Christ and then goes back to his sinful lifestyle does it because that's his nature. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Cleaning a pig up on the outside does not change its nature. He's still a pig. 
no amount of washing you do on the outside is going to change the fact that he is a pig. Listen, adopting religious practices does not change the nature of a person. Let me, let me try to explain it this way. The false teachers were temporarily reformed, but they were never permanently reborn. They were reformed, but they weren't reborn. What sinners need is not reformation. It's regeneration. They need to be born again. They don't need to adopt a new set of morals. Listen, you can go to hell as a policeman or a prostitute. They don't need just a new set of morals. They need to be... They need a new nature, what the Bible calls a new heart in the Old Testament. They need to be reborn, as Jesus says. That's why he said in, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 5, you must be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit. You cannot see the kingdom of God. People don't need reformation. They need regeneration. So what's the truth? They were never Christians to begin with. Their nature was never changed. The fact that they went right back to that old life shows they are still who they were before. Now, yes, a Christian can backslide and, and you know, for, a, for a period of time and can, you know, can sin. We're not denying that. But we're talking about somebody who goes back to that old lifestyle. Their nature hasn't been changed. Now, I want you to think about what God's Word is telling us tonight. I'm going to try to kind of summarize it. People who begin to follow Christ, then return to their sinful life, even enticing others to do the same, they show they are not true Christians, and their end will be worse than if they had never began following Christ to start with. How does that help us know what a true Christian is? Well, first of all, we see what a true Christian is not. I want to read you what I said again just a minute ago, and then I want to show you how that's going to help us understand who true Christians are. This text is teaching us this. People who begin to follow Christ, then return to their sinful life, enticing others to do the same, show they are not true Christians and their end will be worse than if they had never began following Christ to begin with. Now, let's take that same phrase and just turn it around. People who begin to follow Christ and never return to their sinful life, in spite of temptation to do so, show they are true Christians. Did you catch that? People who begin to follow Christ and never return to their sinful life, in spite of temptation to do so, show they are true Christians. Let me, simpli let me simplify that for you. I, 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 this is the thought I want you to take with you. For true Christians, there's no turning back. 
How do you know true Christians? They never turn back. When they begin following Christ, they're going to sin along the way. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to be disciplined by God, but they're never going to go back to the way they were. Why? Because they got a new nature. They've been changed. They don't go back to the way they were because they're not the person they were. For true Christians, there's no turning back. Let me say it like this way. For those people who are truly on the road to heaven, there ain't no U-turns. If you're truly on the road to heaven, you're not going to turn around and go back because there ain't nowhere to turn around. If you turn around, you were never on the right road to begin with. Why, do they don't, why don't they go back to the mud? Because they're not pigs anymore. They're not pigs anymore. People who go back to the mud do so because they never stop being pigs. For true Christians, it's no turning back. No turning back. I'm going to make a suggestion. I, I want to try to drive this idea into your heart and mind where, you, where you'll, you'll just hang on to it. You know the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. This coming week, I'm going to make a suggestion. When you wake up, before you have coffee or breakfast, why don't you sing that song or just say it if your voice is so terrible you can't stand to sound the sound, hear yourself singing, say it. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Every day this week, before you have coffee or breakfast, why don't you sing that? Sing it as a prayer to the Lord or say it. Drew Dick wrote a book called Generation X Christian. And it's a book about young Christians who leave the Christian faith. He interviewed one young man who left Christianity to join the Wiccan religion. Uh, Wiccans changed their names. The man's new name is Morning Hawk Apollo. Sound like an Indian astronaut, but what do I know? Morning Hawk Apollo. That's his name he chose. Well, he discussed in this book his rejection of the Christian faith. This is what he said. Ultimately, why I left is that the Christian God demands that you submit to his will. In Wicca, it's just the other way around. Your will is paramount. We believe in gods and goddesses, but the deities we choose to serve are based on our wills. Now, at one time in his life, this man practiced the Christian religion. But you hear me, he was never a Christian. He was never a true Christian. How do I know he is never a true Christian? Because true Christians never turn back. What did John say in, the, in 1 John? They went out from us 
because they were not of us? How do you know who a true Christian is? A true Christian is the one who says from his heart, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. The world behind me. The cross before me, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. That's the true Christian. Let's pray.